listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome back to I Might Be Wrong. We are here for part two. How are you doing, Henry? Yeah, very well, thanks. I have a, a massive mug of tea. It's 1.3 litres, and I'm working my way through it slowly. Uh, I got it for Christmas, so well done, sister. Thanks very much. There's a lot of tea to drink. <laughs> to drink. <laughs> Does she listen? Well, I asked for a massive mug for Christmas, and she gave me a massive mug. So yeah, she she definitely listened. To I that meant one. to the podcast. Um, but... <laughs> oh, I see. Does she listen to the podcast? Who knows? I guess you'll find out. So we were talking Oasis and Blur, weren't we? We were talking about the Battle of Britpop, and Blur had just won the battle. Yeah. So this is back in 1995, and these two bands were not just hitting musical headlines, they were hitting national headlines across the UK. It was the talk of pubs and bars and school playgrounds, which is probably where you and I were discussing them. Yep. It was a big deal. And the kind of winner of the battle was Blur in this instance, but they didn't win by too much. I mean, both singles sold over 200,000 copies, which is a pretty good chunk of change for mm-hmm. for both bands but blur edged it right and blur at that point were crowned by the press at least as being the winners of the two bands right and then they were the first of the two bands to release their album which was 1995's great escape which came out in september and it's a good album it's got tracks like stereotypes charmless man and the universal are as far as I'm concerned, still considered among the best that Britpop had to offer. It's got good songs on it. I don't necessarily love it as an album. I personally think Park Life is significantly better. Uh, okay, I think The Great Escape is Blur's best Britpop album. And I put Britpop in there because okay. I think some of their later work's better. But it's just got more to it. Although Park Life is, if I could take Park Life as a single and shoehorn it into The Great Escape, then I'd be happy. I think for me, it hit a point where Blur really was starting to feel like they'd taken the too cool for schoolness too far and were almost taking themselves a bit too seriously. I sort of got a bit bored of them. And I think part of it was that I was just enjoying oasis's more straightforward rock at this point but even looking back now i still think that park life and like you say some of the later albums are better musically yeah tricky one that jury's out but that's just me and the british press absolutely lapped this album up they absolutely adored it it got massive rave reviews and then oasis released what's the story morning glory well yeah and if you look at the two albums that oasis had released at that point, definitely maybe was first. And then a year later, What's the Story comes along in 95. The big difference between those two albums is that although they're both fairly straight down the middle rock albums, the one thing What's the Story has that definitely maybe doesn't is just those huge choruses in all of the songs. Mm-hmm. They play with balladry a little bit more. They start putting strings into their music. And you can see them not just trying to be the kings of a Oasis blur battle. These guys are going bigger than that and they're trying to be the biggest band in the world. You can see it, the way they've just gone, let's just times everything by 10 and try and hit that kind of, that moonshot. And it, you can see right from the opening track, Hello, 
it's a kind of hello <laughs> kicks the door down and goes look at us it's good to be back and then yeah off they go from there well it steals from gary glitter which at the time seemed like a good idea but maybe isn't so much now yeah i once again they're plagiarizing all sorts <laughs> of uh all sorts of musical ideas but that's kind of got lost amongst some absolute stonkers of of tracks and one of them was Wonderwall, which came out really soon after the Country House Roll With It battle. I think it was only a couple of weeks later. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point where actually things changed a little bit for, for Oasis because in Country House and Roll With It, you had Roll With It was a, you know, we've just, just discussed it before. It's a pretty bland song. But <laughs> Wonderwall is a ballad and, you know, Oasis don't really do ballads, do they? But they did and they produced an absolute corker. It's a brilliant song. People don't like it these days because it got played to death. I still think it's a really good song. I think it's the high point with Oasis and the fact that it got parodied so much <laughs> off the back of that single by artists trying to work out what a Wonderwall was and stand-up comedians took the piss out of it. Everyone talked about it because it was so so good and so in the public eye that you could you could write a stand-up comedy routine about whatever the hell a Wonderwall was, and everyone would go, yeah, we all know Wonderwall. It's it's just so well-known. Have you heard Richard Cheese's version of Wonderwall? That's exactly the version <laughs> that I was thinking of in my head when I was thinking it's been, yeah, it's been parodied. That, that's, yeah. So if you haven't heard of Richard Cheese, he is an artist who creates lounge jazz versions of famous rock songs well worth a, a dig go and have a listen we might drop that one onto the uh onto the playlist just so you've got a starting point for that he's got an incredible back catalogue oh it's amazing that's some, check it out brilliant stuff on there so you know wonderwall didn't actually make it to number one do you know who did because i haven't done enough research <laughs> uh yes i do it was robson and jerome Oh my, that was a, that was that the Unchained Melody ballad? Uh, it was I Believe, which I think was the one oh before God, Unchained Melody. But it was a real old school pop versus new Britpop battle that happened. Yeah, I'm surprised by that, actually. I would have thought it was a shoo-in for number one. <laughs> no, I think from what I remember, some might say and Don't Look Back in Anger hit number one, Roll With It and Wonderwall didn't, because singles tended to peak in their first week and then fall away. Generally, you didn't always get that. You sometimes had things like Meatloaf's I Would Do Anything for Love, which stick around for a while, but most of them tend to fade after week one. Yeah, that one. And Whitney Houston was another one that just couldn't shift from the number one spot. I remember that. But, I mean, you say Wonderwall was their peak. I actually think Don't Look Back in Anger is the (laughs) almost perfect Oasis song because it rips off the Beatles. It's got like you say big strings and big choruses for me it's definitely up there as one of my favorites it's not my favorite but it's my favorite off any album that's a very good point and the fact that those songs are back to back in the album just shows the strength of it and from that point oasis went supersonic this went to number four on the billboard 100 in the states Mm -hmm. it's a crowd pleaser all over the world and and at that point i think Oasis started to take the lead and there was a potential cause for chaos with the two bands uh, in 96 um, when by a complete 
quirk of fate, both bands were due to play gigs in Bournemouth oh, really? on the same same evening. And they ended up having a war of words about it. And Amazing. It, it turned out that uh, some Oasis fans from Manchester decided to hire some buses to go down and cause trouble, basically. So they, I don't think they've got tickets to the gig. So they thought they'd turn up. And then Blur fans decided to also chip in and end up with a pitch battle. And I think they had fans from Wolverhampton coming down. Oasis cancelled their gig and they just said, this is stupid. We're we're not going <laughs> to try and end up in a fight because we'll probably win and then we'll get into trouble because our fans beat the Blur fans up. So Oasis cancelled their Bournemouth gig and yeah, they let it be. And you'd think in a battle of fans of those two bands, I'm going to put my money on the Oasis fans, if I'm honest. 100%, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's probably why they said, let's let's not do this. Because if you think about Blur, almost the, the 90s version of a bunch of hipsters in tight right. jeans, and they're just going to get a shoeing. So, And that was the narrative for a, a lot of this stuff around that kind of 95 to 97 period was really... Blur were these hipster, smug, university-educated, posh twats-ish. Yeah. Even though they weren't that posh themselves. Yeah. And Oasis was this working class, you know, good time, just just one of the lads, just want to have a bit of fun type of bands. And the media played it that way. Blur may have been very heavily lauded, when the album was released but by the end of the year oasis were the heroes and blur were dickheads basically yeah pretty much and just to finish on what's the story because when you look through the album the songs just keep on coming mm-hmm. you've got champagne supernova further down the the album listing and that's just huge again yeah. i don't know what a champagne supernova is but <laughs> wonderful song and a, a really lovely piece of music Noel has an amazing knack for writing beautifully visual nonsense. So his imagery is wonderful, even though it's complete garbage most of the time. I mean, I don't mean garbage from a it's terrible. I mean, garbage from a it's complete, absolute, abstract nonsense. He just writes lyrics that sound good. Yeah, and he gets away with it as well. He's very good at it. And to be fair, there's a lot of abstract lyricism out there that tries to be much more than it is he doesn't pretend that it's anything more than it is yeah i think if i were to criticize some bands that do that <laughs> bands like idlewild do that a lot mm-hmm. idlewild in particular annoy me because they're one of my favorite bands they make some incredible music but roddy Woomble's lyrics are <laughs> terrible and they tried to sound grandiose and they failed miserably i'm i'm I don't want to knock any Idlewild Wild fans because I'm one of them and I've got three of their albums. But yeah. anyway, th- there are bands that do this better than others and Oasis definitely do it better than most. Yeah, so What's the Story basically takes the world by storm. Blur are sort of falling apart at this point. They're having massive rows within the band. It doesn't even look likely that they might even record a new album. So Oasis, presumably their next album was an even bigger hit, right? Well... In sales, it was initially. So the sales for Be Here Now were huge in the first few weeks until people started to realise what a dog of an album it was. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit harsh, but but I bought the album thinking it's going to be another belter. And I remember watching Top of the Pops and they had the 
do you know what I mean single on when it had helicopters and it would yeah, cost a lot of money and it video. was and there was all sorts of chat about how how brilliant this next Oasis album would be but then it didn't really do that well Magic Pie is a great song but yeah. that's another one which which is a stupid song title but, but works well and yeah it kind of culminates at the end of the album towards the end of the album with um, All Around the World which if you look at the video for that is just a Beatles video it, yeah you would look at it and if you turn the sound off you go that's the Beatles yeah. doing Yellow Submarine or whatever. It's it's that artwork and I don't know. It was the the point where everyone's had said Oasis have run out of ideas. My brain in the background is going na 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 all around the world. Yeah. And I think that's the point where people realised that Oasis maybe didn't have all of the cards. Yeah. You said you bought it. Did you buy it when it first came out on release day? Uh, release week or so, yeah. I remember it came out on the Friday and the Saturday. I have a very, very vivid memory of getting the bus into Wickham, which was about two miles from where I grew up. So bus ride in, went to our price, bought the album, extremely happy very excited to listen to the new album that you know we'd only heard that one single off it so far get home i remember the bus ride home like flipping through all the album artwork and you know there's all this imagery that is like you say very reminiscent of the beatles getting in putting on sticking my headphones on and just my enthusiasm levels just slowly fading away because it just sounded like a rehash of the previous two albums and with nothing new and nothing special other than like you say a couple of good tracks on there yeah and if you compare that with blur's album blur right. which came out also in 97 yep the the two couldn't be couldn't be further apart in terms of the way their styles progressed what happened around that was basically Coxon was really struggling with other members of the band. So he wanted more say in the creative process and Albon wasn't allowing him that. And Alex James was being a massive playboy idiot, as far as I can tell. And he was struggling with drinking problems. He'd been getting more and more into US rock, so Beck and Pavement. And he, he wrote a letter to Albarn basically saying he really wanted to get back to the point where their music could scare people again. And Albarn, to his credit realized that coxon was right and he'd listened to more of that music when they were touring apparently coxon would just play that music blaringly loudly on the tour bus as almost a protest against everything that they'd been doing up to that point and he said i can sit at my piano and write brilliant observational pop songs all day long but you've got to move on and they they did so they approach street who'd produced their previous album basically argued that they should be looking for a more stripped down sounds they did some initial sessions in london and then went to record the rest of the album in iceland took themselves completely away from the Britpop scene focused much more on what they needed to do next rather than what they'd done before and you get this much more lo-fi effort that's full of crunching guitars it doesn't really have much in the way of pop hooks i think it's a much better album than great escape i love song two which is probably the most single-ish of songs on there and everyone knows but things like Beetle Bum and On Your Own are brilliant songs as well 
I'd completely echo that. Beetlebum and, well, there are loads. On Your Own, Death of a Party, M.O.R. is great. Yeah. But song two is an interesting one because that was the song for me where I realised that they had the ability to rock out and they didn't always need to, but they could. And <laughs> I think it surprised quite a few people. Some good nonsense lyrics as well. I got my head checked by a jumbo jet. It wasn't easy, but nothing, nothing is. is. <laughs> and yeah, how many times have you danced around a room to that? It's Oh, mate, yes. It's, it's a great piece of music and it captures a lot of stuff. In some ways, it's a bit of a middle finger to Oasis in that it shows that they can go beyond 4-4 rock music and go into almost mm-hmm. fast-paced grunge and we can out loud you. Yeah. I love it. Great song. So that's the other thing that for me is an odd quirk of the Oasis Blur thing is that while Blur are releasing one of their best albums, Oasis in 98 are releasing one of theirs, but it's not what you'd think of as a classic Oasis album. So the master plan, tell us about the master plan. The master plan is, I'm not, it's a funny name for, for a title <laughs> of um, what effectively B-sides, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. It's all sorts of stuff that's been recorded on the side. So it can't be a master plan. It's almost a... It's the offcuts. <laughs> it's, it's it's the offcuts. And you've got some great songs on there. Mm-hmm. I am I can't really work out where this sits in the Oasis canon. It, it's funny. Acquiesce is obviously a, a great song. But then you've got weird things floating around, like Half the World Away, which is this lovely little gentle ballad floating away through the, through the album. It... It's a really odd one. I'm I'm not sure I like the album at all. Oh, I love it. I'm going to completely disagree with that. I think it's probably one of their most complete albums in terms of every song on here, as far as I can tell, is really great. And Noel says it's the best album that they released from that period. Yeah, I can understand why. It does, it does sound more interesting. It, it, there's, there, there's a lot more levels to it than some of their earlier stuff it's more personal as well that's the thing that i love about some of the stuff on here so you mentioned half the world away that's one of a pair of songs that were written on us tours where noel was getting really homesick so half the world away is obvious really it's you know you're so far away from the people that you love and home uh talk tonight is the other one which is about him getting talked down off a hotel balcony when he was gonna jump by a guy yeah, and it's a time when I think both brothers are starting to really start to drift apart. Yep. There's the incident a year later, or almost the same year, where where Liam gets banned from a Cathay Pacific flight. I don't know the details. Something involving food. I think it was a scone. <laughs> and uh, so he ended up, being, ended up being banned from Cathay Pacific. I think the whole band got kicked off the flight. Anyway, doesn't matter. So the the brothers are clearly starting to have differences and the pressure of fame and touring is is getting on them. So you're right, they've released a, quite a diverse album, but it's it's the last hurrah in my my mind for, for Oasis. It was the, the last interesting thing they did. It was the last good album they made, I think. Right. And at the same time, Blur are winding up towards 13. So 13 is the breakup album. This is... Produced by William Orbit, it's much more varied albums. There's more jamming going on. There's more 
it's more personal in a lot of ways. So for Alban in terms of the lyrics, he had just broken up with longtime girlfriend Justine Frieschman, who was front woman for Elastica, and they were they were sort of a Britpop power couple for a long time. And the breakup was clearly devastating to Alban. They'd been together eight years. So songs like No Distance Left to Run and Tender are heartbreaking if you listen to the lyrics. Yeah, a good friend of mine bought the album and we listened to it and we both went completely separate ways. I really got annoyed with it because it was too quiet and too morose. Uh And he was just coming out of a relationship and loved it and was like, this is the greatest thing Blur have ever made. And I disagreed with him, constantly disagreed with him. We went our separate ways and then I listened to it about 10 years ago and suddenly the lights went on and you think, hang on a second, I I get it. I get why they've released this type of album. Yeah. And it's the Graham Coxon album. He was apparently basically given free reign to do whatever he wanted to do creatively. Orbit just would let him do his thing, which I didn't really know until I read this i thought it was more of a an orban dominated effort but actually it's more the lyrics where orban dominates but it's also an album that got them much better known in the u.s because it's got more of a u.s alt rock sound to it other than maybe coffee and tv which i think ironically would have been a really big hit if it had been released in the Britpop era yeah, you're probably right. I think that had an interesting video with a milk carton, didn't it? It did. Running down the road. Yep, that's the one. And it's the first time that Coxon ever took lead on the vocals. Yeah, and he's done some solo work, hasn't he, I think? He has. It's weird, though. I don't know whether you ever listened to it. He released an album called The Golden D, which I bought purely because it was Graham Coxon. I wanted to listen to some Blur-type stuff. It's it's odd. It's good odd i think but i think also when i was listening to it it's not the kind of stuff that i appreciated enough at the time i should probably go back and listen to it again i don't know if you listened to any of his solo stuff i did and i listened to it because of the guitar and i like his guitar work and Mm. a lot of it was quite clever but i didn't buy the album and probably because i didn't buy it i didn't really get into it yeah that's fair So while all of this nonsense is going on for Blur, Oasis, you know, they've had a difficult album. Next album's going to be better, right? Right? Oh, well, this is is Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, which is... uh... (laughs) It's crap is what it is. I tried listening to it the other day. I think I got in as far as Who Feels Love and was just like... I know this is this is terrible. It gave me a headache. I think my brother bought this album off the strength of "Go Let It Out," which I think may have been a single. Yep, and it's rubbish. Yeah, it really isn't very good. "Go Let It Out" is an okay song. It's not bad. It's kind of classic Oasis doing Beatles. It's all right. There's large chunks of this album that are fucking terrible, and part of that is because Noel is at this point getting bored, as far as I can tell, and allowing Liam to dominate more of the writing and the the lyricism. And there's shit in here. Like, Little James is fucking awful. It's a terrible song. Yeah, and you just cannot imagine when this album came out, Oasis saying, all right, we'll go and open up Nebworth again and invite 
what was it, Nebworth back in 96, Oasis managed to get about 250,000 people over two days right. into a venue to watch them play. I mean, that's huge. That's one of the biggest gigs ever. I think one of my colleagues actually went to Nebworth to watch the gig. Mm-hmm. said it was shit <laughs> he said it was everyone was drunk you couldn't the sound was awful the crowds weren't very nice and he just said it was one of the worst experiences of his gigging life but at that point when that Nebworth was back in 1996 yeah Oasis were just riding high but yeah off the back of Shoulders of Giants they're not going to pull in that many people to to watch them play they just didn't have that awesomeness right but i mean people still want the hits but if they're going to play the new stuff then no so just to give an example little james lyrics live for your toys even though they make noise have you ever played with plasticine even tried a trampoline thank you for your smile you make it all worthwhile to us i mean that's embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and i know we don't like to shit on stuff in this podcast but this is a terrible, terrible record. There's like two, three decent songs on there and nothing nothing comes close to the level of the first two albums. Yeah, you, you're being kind, I think. <laughs> I think at this point, Oasis were living on Past Glories and they were still on tour doing very well. But you're almost touring the hits from right. previous albums. Which, to be fair, is what Blur were doing as well. There's a lot of their touring, particularly after their next albums so 13 and think tank where they were really they were still together as a band they were still touring but it was all based on old stuff rather than writing anything new yeah i'm i'm just looking at heathen chemistry which was another follow-up from oasis two years later in 2002 did you bother listening to it i don't even think i've listened to it i haven't i don't think i I listened to it either i think they released stop crying your heart out as a single and i just went nope yeah Actually, you're right, they did. That's exactly what happened. They released it and it basically sounded like a kind of a rip-off version of something from What's a Story yeah. and you just think, no thanks, see you later. Have you listened to Think Tank? Yes, I really like Think Tank. I I think I need to listen to it more because for me, Think Tank's a really... It's an album that I think older me appreciates those sounds more than 2001 me. I think at the time I was getting into a lot of other stuff and Think Tank felt like uh, it's just more blur and I'm not really that interested. And Coxon left before this album really got started with the recording sessions. He said there were no rows. The band just recognised the feeling that we needed some time apart. And it it feels like his presence is missing a little bit in terms of the direction. Uh, It's much less guitar heavy. And Albarn have been showing this kind of broader interest in music outside of Western guitar rock. And you're starting to see a lot of that coming in there's a fascinating quote from coxon who described his time in the band as being dragged around the fucking world on his uh megalomaniac trip which is it's quite sad in a way because Mm. gorillas started in 2001 so two years before this album came out Albarn was doing some really wacky stuff with gorillas and there was blur with think tank coming out and you just kind of think, where's what's happened to Coxon? He's just he's almost got squeezed out of everything. Well, I mean, he this was the point when he was going off and doing a lot of his own solo stuff, and it sounded like he needed that as a personal 
evolution thing to to move beyond just being a member of Blur. And Think Tank is it's a really decent album. I mean, Ambulance is the opener, and that's kind of dark and moody and sinister and sort of sets a lot of the tone. But you've got things like Out of Time, which is great. It sort of feels all out of kilter, but it's also got that kind of laid back coolness that earlier Blur has. It's one of my favourite Blur songs. It's brilliant, right? I really, really like Out of Time. I love it. Uh, and then Crazy Beat, which is cool with the kind of fuzzy vocals and the really massive guitar intro. So yeah, they're still producing some some decent music at this time. Yeah. And this is what, this is 2003. So right. Uh, I was going to say it's relatively recent, but that's 18 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's the end of Main Blur, really. It's the last album that they released until 2015's Magic Whip, which I don't know if you listened to that much. No. It left me a little bit underwhelmed. It's not bad, but it almost feels a bit like an unnecessary addition and a bit of a retread of some of their better known albums. But it's a fascinating backstory. So it got made because they were stranded in Hong Kong for five days in 2013. Tokyo Rocks Festival. They were supposed to be playing there and it got cancelled. And they they had nothing to do for for a week. So they spent it jamming and fleshing out demos that Orban had on his iPad. And that was how the album got made. But Albans described it as the last piece of the jigsaw of us getting our friendship back together. So... I guess it makes more sense from a personal perspective that they made the album rather than necessarily from a musical perspective. Ha, huh, that is that is cool. But in some ways, being stranded in Hong Kong and getting an album together, that almost goes back to a lot of the the bands kind of pre-internet where you've got people locked in a basement or there's nothing else to mm-hmm. do but record music. And it seems to be a great way for bands to record stuff. I mean, we've talked before about bands holding up somewhere like the stones grabbing a chateau in france and just saying right we're just gonna wait it out here until we record something awesome and yep. good things happen when you stick a band in a place for a, a long time and make them record well i think also with a lot of bands particularly with bands like blur at that point they were either touring massively or spending time away from the band doing entirely different things so there was no real impetus to to do a new album Damon Albarn's working on Gorilla stuff, Africa Express. He's collaborated with numerous artists on their work under their names. So Kano, he pops up on a Kano album and Kano pops up on Gorillas. So there was definitely this thing of him having that outlet to go off and make music and, and the others as well, as far as they want to. Yeah. And since then, Oasis haven't completely left the room, so <laughs> right. they released Don't Believe the Truth in 2005. The only song I know on that is The Importance of Being Idle, which is kind of an interesting song, but it's nothing stellar. And then Dig Out Your Soul, which I've not looked at at all until <laughs> now, and I've started to read some of the background on it, and actually a lot of people are saying it's quite a good album. Okay, It's almost as if they've they've actually almost returned to form and have tried to use the formulas that they were using back in definitely maybe in what's a story and have produced quite a good album but it's one that's passed me by yeah i don't know that i'd be that bothered even if it was getting towards definitely maybe and what's the story just because we already have those two albums if i want to listen to an album that's like those two albums i'll go and listen to those two albums yeah and you can't see oasis doing a blur and 
deciding to go down a different track. Right. They're a very good one-trick pony. <laughs> well, they're a very good ex-one-trick pony because they can't stand each other, so there's almost no chance that Oasis is going to get back together, given that they've both got their own side projects going on. Yeah, they they do. Because um, there's High Flying Birds, mm-hmm. which is um, Noel's one. I don't even know what Liam's one is. Uh, BDI. Oh, yeah. No, I do know that because I listened to it and it was rubbish. It's terrible. (laughs) You you only have to listen to those two solo projects to understand where the talent is. Yeah. Yeah. And I quite like some of High Flying Bird stuff. I did send you... I don't know if you listened to it, but I sent you a link to one of the tracks off the EP that he released in 2020. Uh, And it sounds like Noel does an East 17 Christmas song you, you did it's called Wandering Star I don't know if you listened to it no haven't heard it it's alright there's better stuff he's done some really decent stuff actually I mean sub Oasis but a bit more just a little bit more fun free I think free of Liam's this has to be hard rock kind of attitude so I remember Holy Mountain coming on the radio and it's rare that a song really gets me excited without me knowing any background. I, I heard the song before I knew who it was. And it's got these horns. It's really upbeat. And I was getting really, really excited about it. And I was like, what's this cool piece of music? I love it. And it's really energizing. Yeah. And then it was like, it's Noel Gallagher's stuff. And you think, what? There's, there's no trace of Liam. And it's almost a shame, actually. You kind of think if back in what the late 90s if noel had had the opportunity to release something like holy mountain then yeah i think that would have been a game changer for us i think that would have really set them apart because holy mountain doesn't sound like the beatles it doesn't sound like 60s and 70s music it sounds interesting so yeah if you don't know it go and check it out i it's 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 a song which i don't know in some ways it makes me a little bit sad because it shows you what could have been. Right. And I think there are songs that I have that I'd heard of high flying birds that have just cropped up over the last seven or eight years where I feel very much the same where I'm like, Oh wait, what? This is Noel. There's some good stuff on there. And, and fascinatingly Noel and Damon Albarn have actually reconciled and they're pretty reasonable friends now so noel invited damon on to one of his records and when they were asked about it noel's reply apparently was listen nobody gives a fuck what liam thinks about anything and liam tweeted now that dick out of blur and the creepy one out of oasis need to hang their heads in shame as it's no dancing in the streets that gobshite out of blur may have turned Noel Gallagher into a massive girl, but you believe me, next time I see him, there's going to be a war. It's like Liam's just stuck in this 1995 Battle of the Bands thing that everyone else has moved on from. Yeah, well, it says it already, doesn't it? So I'd say in the Battle of Britpop, Liam's the loser. I think that's a brilliant way to put it. Yeah. And if he ever hears this, he'll probably punch me in the face. So I'll look forward to that, I guess. I doubt he will care. <laughs> <laughs> He seems like the type that would. He seems like the type that would get into Twitter arguments with people. Actually, yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, Liam. (laughs) He doesn't know who we are. It's fine. I think we'll be okay. We haven't mentioned probably my favourite Oasis track. What? Do tell. 
because it was released as a single in between Definitely Maybe and What's the Story? Whatever is an absolute belter and I really, really love it. Of course. And it's it's such a... I don't know. It's such a pastiche of Oasis, and it's it's copying everything, and there's nothing new on there. But it's an absolutely brilliant song. <laughs> it's wonderful. I really love it. And you're right. It is basically ripping off so much stuff, and it's got the violins that you mention sort of come in around. What's the story, Morning Glory? Yeah, that extra production really lifts it, and yeah, you can get some some harmonies which work work well with this kind of. You've got a fairly snarling snarling front man but some beautiful harmonies to support him nice okay so after all that oasis or blur oh it's got to be blur simple as that it's got to be blur how about you teenage me would have said oasis current me absolutely blur i'm with you 100 percent. yeah i don't think we can be wrong on that one and oasis have done some brilliant stuff and we can't can't knock them but I just think for pure musical innovation and duration and just hanging around them and continuing to surprise people, I would say Blur. With the tiny exception of the, the potential of Noel if he could get away from his brother. <laughs> That's fair. I would genuinely love to see a blur collaboration between some of the folks in Blur and Noel Gallagher. Jeez, that would be interesting. Yeah. Have you seen seen either of them live? I have seen Blur live, never seen Oasis live. Same. Because yeah. the time when Oasis were really hitting their stride and, and before the point where I got fed up with them releasing ever more shit albums, I wasn't really going to gigs at that point. I couldn't, couldn't go to gigs when I was in my teens because I lived too far out of London. My parents wouldn't let me go up to London for them. Once I'd got into my late teens, early 20s, Oasis was sort of imploding and they just they didn't play any of the festivals that I was at Blur did I saw them at Reading and they were fucking brilliant how about you yeah I saw Blur headline Glastonbury brilliant and you're right at the time when I probably could have gone to start seeing Oasis they were doing arena tours and I wasn't going to pay 50 pounds for a ticket for something like that when you could get, go for gigs for half that price, quarter of that price, and see some really interesting bands. You don't want to pay 50 quid to see Liam sing Little James? <laughs> Read the lyrics again, go on. No, no, I don't, think, I don't think we should subject our listeners to that again. I'd love to have seen Oasis live in their pomp. I think it would have been a brilliant gig if you got to go and see those. Yeah, agree. And by all accounts, Nebworth wasn't it. If it sounds like you're thinking, oh, were those the glory days? That they, they weren't, but you're right. That would have been good to see them. I think it was at the Wawa Club in Glasgow back in the day when they were spotted. Before they decided that cocaine was the best thing on the planet. Yeah. Which is basically what ruined be here now. Yeah. And cricket bats, which was when, I think there is a cricket bat story where the, <laughs> the Gallagher's so are beating stories. each other over the head with one. Yeah. There are so many stories. I did start thinking, should I list out every scuffle and problem they've ever had but we'll end up just disappearing down a tabloid rabbit hole we've already talked far too long over the course of two separate episodes without even getting into all of that tabloid nonsense with oasis maybe we'll focus in on specific albums with these two over the course of this podcast but today is not that day no i think that's probably a good point to uh to call it a day and and celebrate blur's victory well done blur i think we don't often take sides on this one, but I think 
on this occasion, we're going to give a trophy to, to Blur for being the winners. I think we have to. Okay, so thanks for joining us back in 2021. Appreciate you listening in on our, our first two-parter of the year. Uh, we might have some more. If you want to chat with us, we are on the socials. So you can find us at I Might Be Wrong UK on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Come and say hello. We'd love to hear hear from you hear what you have found from 2020 that was great fun we've tweeted out at least one link to my 2020 big listens i don't know if i tweeted yours yet Uh, i don't know if you sent it to me yet i haven't sent it i haven't got it okay when you send that i'll tweet it hopefully before this episode comes out we will have publicized henry's 2020 list from spotify and if not there's a lot more in 2021 to look forward to so i'm sure we'll be back with some some more fun albums from yesteryear absolutely well cheers for joining us for this two-parter we'll be back next week we're not sure who with yet but we'll be back cheers henry cheers bye bye thank you for listening to another episode of i might be wrong